very excited about July 7th. As Kevin mentioned, we're having uh, a baptism service on the church property. It is the first time we'll be using church property as a church. And it's, it's so exciting to me to think about what is happening in downtown Jewish City because some people have bonded together to worship the Lord and proclaim the gospel. We are literally beginning to see the very beginnings of an actual geography, an address, a zip code, a town, a municipality being transformed actually by the power of God. We're not just talking about things that are happening in the, in the by and by, but we're going to make a memory where we are able to go and talk with our friends and our loved ones and our coworkers who live in this zip code and other zip codes in Eastern Connecticut. And I just went to a baptism service in the heart of Jewish City. Did you ever think, did you ever think that the place where God would be doing something new would be in the heart of Jewish City on a piece of abandoned and derelict property that has been known for a generation for centuries? When was the last time someone was baptized by immersion in the heart of the borough? When did it happen? And I'm telling you folks, it's just very exciting because as, as awesome as it is to spend time in the Word of God, ourselves on a daily basis and praying and, and reading and understanding and wrestling, to make memories like this together is very sticky and it's very powerful and it's very awesome. And so we have a few children who are being baptized that day, we have some adults who are being baptized that day, and hopefully after this message, so that it's just the Lord put on my heart, preach baptism. Like, don't assume everybody knows. Don't assume that everyone is familiar with the power of powerful New Testament text. Basically, the whole book of Acts, one of the themes is people hearing the word of God, believing the word of God, and then in belief being baptized. It happens seven times, eight if you don't count the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be taking a look at those seven times briefly here this morning. So the Lord put on my heart to preach baptism, to show people what the Bible says, because as important as it is for us to grow individually on our own, yay, we're supposed to feed ourselves. We're also supposed to have big days where we publicly proclaim the power of the gospel to not just, if he's going to change our life in this life and for eternity, doesn't it make a difference in a zip code too? Shouldn't there be an actual difference that we can see and feel and experience together as a people that will be attractive and show people that there is power in the gospel and we're not kidding. Grass was growing where there were needles and dirt. If you haven't been to the end of 32 School Street, do yourself a favor and drive down there, and, and it's just unbelievable the change that has happened in just a short period of time. And that's just a physical change. But on Sunday, July 7th, we're seeing people make actual decisions for eternity, and I want to show you why. For those of us who have been baptized, I want you to have complete confidence in what the New Testament says about baptism, why we do this. And for those of you who have doubts or questions, hopefully they'll be answered today as we jump into the text and take a look at it. My story of baptism is probably similar to many of yours. I was born into a Catholic family, and, um, and but then as, uh, a, as a young man, my family started attending a congregational church, so it didn't matter uh, for me whether it was my time, brief time in the Catholic church or my longer time, my youth in the congregational church. I was going to be baptized as a baby by being sprinkled, and that was the story of my youth. Every time I talked to somebody about baptism, whether it was a priest or a pastor, it was like, well, you were baptized as a baby, and there's pictures. 
And that's the story of her baptism. The problem for me was, though, as I began to read the scriptures for myself and then went off to Bible college, I was seeing something different in the New Testament. And it was not my heart to be disobedient to any of the loved ones in my life who had me baptized as a baby. It was not my heart to be disobedient to any of the wonderful men and women of God who taught me as a child that being baptized as a baby by being sprinkled on the forehead was a New Testament baptism. I love these people. They continue to be a powerful part of my life to this day. It's just that I want to show you what I found in the New Testament and what has been the normal practice of Christians since the first century, regardless of the culture that is so common here in New England. And so I've asked for some help. We're going to um, read these scriptures. Uh, I'm going to have some help with these scriptures this morning. There are seven different passages in the book of Acts. The words are going to be on the screen. Um, I've asked a friend to kind of distribute the scriptures throughout the church. And so we're going to team preach this morning. Thank you so much for your kind help. Uh, it's like Shanghai preaching. Hey, guess what? You're in the army now. So you're going to help me preach. So if you have verse number 1, which is from Acts chapter 2, verse 41, would you stand up and either read the words on the screen or from your Bible, whatever you're comfortable with. Thank you, sir. You probably already have that verse memorized. You definitely will by the end of the service. This is my Bible memory chant. He wins chant competition every single year. For the sake of the recording, I'm going to read the scripture again. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. This is in response to the greatest sermon ever preached in the church. It is by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the Apostles. He went out and preached an amazing sermon using Old Testament texts, and he talked about Jesus. And what we see in this text is that those who accepted his message about Jesus showed that they believed his message by being baptized that day. And of course, the scripture records that 3,000 people made that decision that day. But you'll see a theme through these texts, which is that the, the word of God is being preached, it is being listened to, and it is being acted on, and then there uh, by baptism. So this is the first time we see baptism mentioned in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Who's got that first? You're preaching today. Where are you? Thank you very much. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news, I put the text in bold so that you can see it. Every single time baptism is mentioned in the book of Acts, which is history of the church, basically in the first century, uh, there was preaching of the word of God going on. As he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. You're very familiar probably with the New Testament text in the accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And it's always kind of interesting to note that only they only counted the adult males who were over the age of 20 or 30. Like, that was the culture. Like, it was kind of dude-centric. Kind of guy-centric. We just count the guys knowing that there's going to be a mom and a few kids along. But, you know, for the sake of counting, we're just counting the guys. Notice this. When it comes to baptism, when the New Testament mentions women, it's intentional. Because the context of the culture, women aren't typically mentioned. And so please notice in this text that men and women were making decisions of faith. That women were taking the name of Jesus. They were placing their faith in Jesus. They were being recognized for their faith in Jesus. 
This is very uncommon in first century texts at all, and we shouldn't overlook it. That is very clearly listed to us in the New Testament, that men and women are making their own decisions of faith to follow Jesus after they hear the gospel being preached. Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 36. Keep preaching with me this morning. Here goes. this scripture. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. The Ethiopian eunuch had a question about a passage found in the book of Isaiah. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? This is the second time in the book of Acts, the third time that baptism is mentioned, where a disenfranchised people group, a people group who were overlooked in the culture of the day, are, are accepting the gospel of Jesus, and it's clearly recorded in biblical text. Women were disenfranchised in the first century church. They were often overlooked. They weren't even counted, literally. So were these guys, eunuchs. Your mom and your dad can tell you what's up with this guy and what makes him different from all the other guys. But let's just say that he was disenfranchised. That he was not counted as a worshiping member of a religious community because of his physicality or lack thereof. And the gospel clearly records, or rather the book of Acts clearly records, that he responded to the gospel of Philip way uh, regarding Jesus Christ and a prophecy found in Isaiah regarding the man of sorrows and this guy was baptized. What should keep me from being baptized? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Neither gender or deformity or social class kept people from responding in faith and being baptized. Acts chapter 10 verses 44 through 47. back a screen just so I can read the, the verse again. And there's two things I want to point out to you about this text as well as the theme. The theme, of course, is while Peter was still speaking, talking about Jesus, he managed to do so. The Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Please notice that verse. I'm going to read the next two verses. For they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Three quick comments. Number one, responsive faith to the preaching of the word. It's every single time it happens in the book of Acts, this is how people are being baptized. They are hearing the word of God that is being faithfully proclaimed, the truth of Jesus Christ specifically, and then they are believing the word, they are taking action and being baptized. That's the theme. Second thing I want to point out to you, Another disenfranchised people group, Gentiles, people who are not Jews by birth, were disenfranchised by the Jewish community. They were not allowed to participate fully in the worship of Yahweh or God. That is not the case in the book of Acts at all. Women, those with deformities, and Gentiles, those 
born from cultures who are not familiar with the God of the Old Testament were all being encouraged and allowed to fully engage and participate with the first century practice of baptism. And the third thing that I want to point out to you, one of the things I hear about all the time, well, Pastor Josh, I have been thinking about baptism, but I want to get my stuff together first. I still fill in the blank too much. I still cuss too much. I still cheat on my taxes too much. I'm not kind enough to my family. I have anger too much. There's something in my life that is not right, that is not godly, that is not conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, something that I'm struggling with, and I, I don't want to publicly take the name of Jesus and embarrass him. Because it's so powerful. When you go under the waters of baptism, and we're talking about the imagery uh, as we wrap up the sermon in just a couple of minutes, people understand that it is so powerful, the imagery of being buried in the likeness of the death of Jesus Christ and coming back from the dead as something new. Dead to the old life, new to the new life, that I'm not quite dead yet to the old life. And I don't want to embarrass my church, I don't want to embarrass my family, I don't want to embarrass the Savior by being accused of being a hypocrite because I'm not, I still have a thing that, that needs to die that's not dead yet. And so I'm waiting until I get better at the thing. That, my friends, is perfectly understandable and dead wrong. According to this passage, while the power of God was being proclaimed, it was met with a receptive heart, and what did God send immediately? The power of the Holy Spirit was also a solution. And they were not Jews. It astonished the Jews that were in the room. They hadn't had a chance to repent of anything yet. In their families, in their communities, in their jobs, they were still known as the person who did the thing. And yet, from the moment of salvation, which is the hearing of faith in our hearts and in our minds, saying yes to the Lord quietly, personally, privately, full acceptance by God, marked, filled, indwelt, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can anyone give me a reason why we can't dump these people right now? They haven't had a chance to change their reputation because that's God's job. Because God was going to empower them and they were going to continue to struggle with the thing because they hadn't been glorified yet and brought to heaven and sin, their sin nature has not been fully removed. That's not what happened with salvation. But God is honored by those of us who still struggle with sin. He claims us as our own. In the moment of salvation, He fills us with the Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't we go under the waters of baptism to celebrate our Savior, who in His kindness, let Him worry about our reputation. Be known as a hypocrite. Whatever. But I will not miss this opportunity to worship the Lord who has saved me and cleanses me inside out when I've simply quietly and privately said yes. Powerful text. And it's a really good objection. And if that's the way you feel, I totally get it, because I feel the same way too. It's just not the alignment with the New Testament teaching. But it'll be neat if I can be baptized too. Wow, Jay, you did a good job, man. You really dropped some truth on us this time. That was really a good job. <laughs> Let's see, that was Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 16. Verses 14 and 15. Who's preaching? Yeah. 
Thank you, Beth. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening. Paul was preaching. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul, riveted by the gospel. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Why this little, if you think I'm legitimate? Because she was not a Jew. And Jews and Gentiles did not hang out, they did not share meals, it was unclean. If you consider me a part of your family, if you consider me a child of God, absolutely, I will accept your hospitality, no problem. As an observant Jew, I have no problem hanging out with you. You've been fully accepted by God, you've been baptized, therefore, let's hang out. Also, first mentioned in the book of Acts, there's three, I believe, of a household being baptized. This woman used her influence to encourage her family to follow her example. I'm going to answer the question in a few minutes about children. We're going to talk about what does the New Testament say about children being baptized. That's why I'm pointing out this text. There is an example, three times, and we'll see all three, of where a household is referenced regarding baptism under the godly influence of the leader of the family. Moms and dads have tremendous authority in the eyes of God to lead their families by example. This is why, and I'll just answer one question real quick. If there is a child who wants to be baptized in, at River Church, and either parent says no, the child will not be baptized at River Church. Why? Honor your father and mother so that you'll live long in the land. The Ten Commandments, first commandment of promise. And there's no way that River Church will help a child potentially break a Ten Commandment by not honoring the wishes of their father or their mother so that they can make their own decision of faith at a young age when they're still under the blessing of the household. So we will patiently wait and instruct and pray for that mom or dad that says, no, my child is not going to be baptized. I'm not comfortable with that. Out of respect for their leadership as a mom or dad. That is a very New Testament principle. It's, it's modeled here. As she went home, talked to her family about baptism, and they followed her example. Household is baptized. Acts chapter 16, verses 32 through 33. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, as you notice this morning, we are serious about being led by children who are serving powerfully. Matthew was our first hospitality coordinator for the church. For almost two years, he led that team by himself, and then he gave it away to another adult because he begged and cried, and he raised a fuss of the violence of his job. So I raised his Matthew, and that was just first of all, am I in trouble? That was really mean. <laughs> So Matthew trained Autumn, and Autumn is now running that team, but Autumn was running the team that Matthew started. And so we love seeing the young men and women off the team to lead the River Church. Um, so thank you, Matthew. Uh, they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. This is the guy who had jailed and beat Paul the night before for preaching the gospel. He took some of them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds right away. He and all his family were baptized. The jailer who had locked up Paul uh, in jail, um, Paul was singing praises to the Lord. The Lord destroyed the prison physically, and uh, the jailer was going to commit suicide because he thought all of his uh, wards had run away. They had not. Paul corralled them. The man, realizing the power of the gospel, is the 
only time in the New Testament where we see even a slight delay from the decision of faith to being followed by baptism. And the delay was to wash the wounds that he had inflicted so that when the guy baptized him, he wasn't a bloody mess. Only time in the New Testament we see a slight delay between the decision of faith and baptism. Because the Lord's acceptance of us is immediate, as we'll see in John Carver and the Holy Spirit. But then the text clarifies that after their wounds were washed so that they were not literally bleeding during the baptism service, right away he and his family, again, the next in the household, were baptized. This guy views his authority as his dad and says, you guys got to listen to me. My wife and my children need to consider the claims of the gospel and the power of what we've just seen and the appropriate response. And then finally, Acts chapter 18, verse Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, obviously a Jew, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. It is my privilege to be able to study the scripture and take it apart and look for themes and commonalities and things that are repeated that the Lord wants to bring to our attention. I cannot help but notice when you go through the book of Acts and look at every single time someone is baptized, it is responsive to the word of God being preached message of faith, and it is followed by baptism. Seven times in the text, not including the Apostle Paul. Uh, the only reason I didn't include that text is it's so unique, but the long story short is, Jesus knocked him down and said, go into the city and do what I tell you. And then he was told to be baptized by Ananias, one of the leaders of the first century church. So eight times we include that text. What are we supposed to do we are supposed to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel. Some are going to pay attention to the gospel, like Lydia, the seller of purple. Their hearts are going to be stirred and moved. They're going to make a private decision of faith. The Holy Spirit is going to indwell them at that moment, and we are to offer them baptism as soon as humanly possible. And so River Church, it's kind of hard to do baptisms as quickly as they did in the first century church, but now that we have access to our own property, Hopefully we can offer them more often. I want to spend the last part of our sermon, uh, kind of the center here towards the end, dealing with two questions, and then I want to show you the three scriptures that do the clearest job of helping us understand the symbolism of baptism. So the first question, what about kids? Let me show you a picture. Look at that adorable, squishy guy. That picture was taken in the fall of 1971. The skinny woman with the really long hippie hair is my dear sweet mommy. And the man who is holding me while I am being sprinkled is my Uncle John. My dad was not a part of the picture, never has been. This was the day I was baptized as a baby. Answer me this one question. Who in these pictures are making decisions of faith? in response to the preaching of the gospel? Is my mom making a decision of faith in response and obedience to her understanding of the preaching of the gospel, that baptism is important? I would say yes. She's the one that put me in the dress, right? She's making a decision of faith. Yay, mom. Thank you. My uncle, who's standing in for my biological father, 
whom I've never met. He's making a decision of faith in response to his understanding of the gospel. The priests are making decisions of faith and offering baptism to a family who's come to them in faith. Who's the only one in the picture not making any decision of faith whatsoever? It's me. Did my family do anything wrong? No. They were being as obedient as they could be at the time that the picture was taken. Is there anything else they could have done for me regarding matters of faith that putting me in a dress and bringing me to a Catholic church and being a Christian? No. And so my mom was exerting her faith. My uncle and the rest of the family that I have a picture of that I didn't, they're wearing plaid suits. And I thought, you know, there are some lines on a Sunday morning that we just cannot cross. The pastor in the dress, yeah, he might have the case as one of them. But, you know, aunts and uncles in the plaid suits, he's obviously crossing the line. And so they're all making, I'm the only one in the picture not making a decision of faith. My family is making a wonderful decision of faith. They're being as obedient as they can be. We never, ever, 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 ever need to be ashamed of the fact that we were baptized as babies or as babies or as children by our family members who loved us and were doing the best they could for us with the knowledge that they had of the gospel. Amen? Our decision of faith has nothing to do with rejecting what was given to us as a gift. The opposite is true. Be proud of it. You were raised in a family that was willing to do something about their faith. Right? They took action to the best of their ability. But the only person in the picture not making a decision of faith is me. What's the problem? We just read seven times that the only thing that happens in New Testament baptism is someone hearing the gospel and making a decision of faith. Which means that I was then baptized as an adult, as I I was actually the youth pastor of a church when I was baptized. That's an awful day for the youth group. We have a great youth group now. The youth pastor is saved. Perfect. Things are looking up for us. I've been saved for a long time, but I had not been obedient to baptism. I had not been trained that way. I had not been raised that way. And it took me years just to sort it, sort it out. So, should our children be baptized? You see, three times in the New Testament text where a household is baptized, we have to assume that children are included in the household. So, yes, in the New Testament, children were baptized uh, under the authority of their parents. They've already told you what our practice is here at High Point Church. We will always encourage children to be at uh, River Church. Wow, slip there, sorry. It's a great church. If you live in that area, you should go there. Uh, at River Church, we will always encourage children to be obedient to their family. God, we live in a grace. It's okay if a child is not baptized, if a child does not have to wait until they're out of the So how old should a child be? Because I have a child, and they, they, they grow up with their kids. In fact, I learn from them. They're coming home and teaching me about things that I didn't know. And so, you know, they're interested in communion and baptism. The two things that scripture has commanded to do. Should they be baptized? Should I allow them to be baptized? And the answer to the question is, did they make a decision of faith? Are, are they able to verbalize to you? 
heard the gospel, what does the gospel mean to you, and what does it mean to you to be baptized? To the best of their ability, are they able to make a decision of faith? If the child is able to verbalize to you as a mom or a dad that they have made a decision of faith, I would humbly submit that they might be ready for baptism with your permission. I would then encourage you to bring the child to me because then it helps you as a parent have faith in their decision if they're able to talk to me about faith. Or a small group leader, or Tyler and Audria, or River Kids leader. If the child is willing and able to talk to another adult who loves them and is encouraging them in the gospel about their decision of faith, then I say that child probably definitely needs to be baptized. Because they understand the gospel and need to be baptized them as soon as humanly possible, which is what we see in the book of Acts. So for girls, typically, this is just me talking now. Not scriptural, okay? I just told you the scriptural stuff. This is me just talking. In the 15 years experience or so, 20 years as pastor, whatever, this is what I typically see. Girls, sometimes, as soon as the age of 7 to 9, are able to have this conversation. Boys, 17 to 19. There's about the time that they're able to. Boys, 9 to 11. There's about the time that they're able to have that conversation. Sometimes the little one will come to me with their mom and dad. Oh, you have something to share with Pastor Josh? And the little one's like, no, we don't. <laughs> but remember last night before bed, we were talking about the thing, and you said the thing, and I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. At that point, I look at the parents, and I say, has the child made a decision of faith? If the child has made a decision of faith, and is clearly communicated to those who love the child, and they have the parent's blessing, then the child ought to be baptized. Girls, a little bit younger, usually, than boys. I think my boys were baptized all the time. They're 13 or so. Everything seems authorization to be something to be baptized. That has nothing to do with anything. Sorry about that. So, yes, children can sometimes uh, understand boys. You were eight? Wow. So, um, one word of caution. Here's what's going to happen. Again, having done this for, you know, the better part of two decades, I've had to try and see this decision of faith made as a child, followed by baptism, uh, and then the child grows up. One word of caution. Sometimes when a child is baptized during those tender years, when they're just very sweet, very open to the gospel, loves River Kids and the children's programming, wants to be a good kid to their mom and their dad, their mom and their dad are leading their household well, and they want to be like mom and dad, and so they make this decision earlier. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but sometimes in the mind of the child, as they go through their teen years and into their early 20s, they look back on that decision and say, ah, that's a little bit. I just got to make sure that I didn't say that. And, and the child themselves, if they're baptized young, sometimes will look back on their decision of faith and minimize it because they feel that they've either grown up or maybe they've made some decisions that they're not happy with or whatever, and they feel like it was more their mom and dad kind of coaching them in a way than it was they're making their own decision of faith. So I want to use that to introduce the second question, which I get a lot about baptism, which is a great question, which is, should I be rebaptized? So, Ed, made a decision of faith at eight years of age, was recognized by the church, and was baptized. He's going off to college in the fall, a Christian college, and you know what happens at Christian colleges. Wild lifestyles of sin ensue. This is what happens with pastor's kids. They're terrible people. 
send them off to Bible college, and they say they're doing one thing, but they're doing the other. Evil children. That tall, lanky frame. He might go off to college and lose it. Freedom, stuff, life, right? He would go right off the track. And then, and then, some time goes by and he makes a mistake. Don't do that, John. And, and, and he's like, I'm so sorry. And there's a course correction. And he goes back on track. And some time goes by, and he's married, and he's raising his own children. And he looks back on his childhood decision to be baptized in a year or two or whatever of, of just obedience to And And he hears a message like this. He's like, man, that's crazy. I made a decision young. I'm not really sure if it's my decision. I'm not sure if I'm not happy. I think it's my decision, but it's hard to tell now. And then I did have those years where I was a wild child. Should I be raised and baptized? There is no commandment in the Bible that says one and done. There isn't. In fact, in the tradition of the day, with the ritual bathing called the mikvah, they took ritual baths all the time. So people didn't think anything of being baptized numerous times. In fact, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. That's what John preached, John the Baptist. So as you are sorry for sin, you should come and be baptized. So obviously there was some rebaptism going on then. So Rebaptism is never forbidden in the New Testament text. This is what I would say, though. Did you make a decision to change? Were you as obedient as possible under the authority of the household that you were living and under your local church? Were you as obedient as possible? And if Ed looks back on his life and says, you know, I was, then there's no reason to be rebaptized. There's no prohibition against it. And most pastors would say, if you feel that you would like to be rebaptized, now that you have an adult understanding, uh, as opposed to a college understanding, I would not forbid it. I would not get in the way. But don't feel that it is necessary. Don't feel that it is compulsive at all. Does that help with questions about that? Even those of us who were baptized, that's kind of helpful to talk uh, with people. So that's about children. That's about whether or not we should be rebaptized. Let's jump into the symbolism, and then I'm going to wrap up with the most important verse about baptism in the Bible. I'm saving the best for last. Uh, so these verses I do not ask for help. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 says, Or are you unaware, we're talking about the symbolism of baptism, what does baptism mean? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. This is the way I describe it to every single person I've ever talked to about baptism. Jesus started out on the cross. He was alive. And he died. And he was laid in the tomb where he stopped breathing. And then three days later, he was brought back from the dead into something different, which is alive, never to die again. When a person is baptized, they have accepted the truth of that teaching about Jesus Christ, the, the forgiveness of sins available through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that a person starts out dry. They are laid backwards under 
moment. Unless it's a very long fasting. And then they're brought back. Something new. Dead to the old. Alive to the new. They made that decision of faith, but now they just did something with their body as an illustration of their affinity with and belief in Jesus Christ. So baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our participation in it by faith. Right? That's, that's good. Symbolism, powerful. Acts chapter 22, 16. Another symbolic aspect of baptism. And now why delay? Get up and get baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. You cannot separate the idea of baptism by immersion by being cleansed, by being bathed, by being washed. What is happening to our bodies by being both going under the waters of baptism is a symbol of what happens to our hearts and our sin life. The moments of it being thoroughly and completely cleansed. And finally, symbolism, uh, found in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Sometimes people ask, I want to be baptized because I want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We've already dealt with that in the New Testament text. Receive the Holy Spirit brought at the moment of salvation, which is seen time and time and time and time again. Well, what about the text where it looks like someone is receiving the power of the Holy Spirit well after the moment of salvation or even in accompaniment with their baptism? Does it not surprise you that on the day of your marriage that you felt more in love with your spouse than you ever felt up until that moment? That there was something about you'd been dating, you'd used your words, you'd had some thoughts about the future, but now you're wearing the thing the tux or the suit or the dress, and you're standing in front of people and now you're saying the words. Does it surprise us that our heart is filled with love at that moment towards that person unlike anything we've ever experienced at that point? doesn't surprise us a bit. Why? We're being obedient to love. Publicly. It empowers us and fills us. It refills us. It's not that we love our wife the first time when we're standing at the altar. It's because we've loved our wife for a while that we're standing at the altar. Same thing for Holy Spirit. It's not that you are baptized or indwelt or filled with filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of baptism. It just surprise you that when you're being obedient and celebrating the love that you have for Jesus publicly, that you would feel the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in a new powerful way. No, it doesn't surprise you. And it is a perfect illustration of the power. The reason you're getting baptized is because you're already filled with the Spirit of Christ. What else would lead you to be baptized to make that decision? And so the question is, do I have the Spirit indwelling in me? The question is, did you make a decision of faith? Did you hear the gospel? Did you believe the gospel? Did you make a decision of faith? It all goes back to the same gospel presence. And so if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it does not belong to him. And so if you have made a decision of faith, you have the Spirit of Christ, and being baptized, picture of being completely covered over, drenched, dripping, wet, sloppy in the presence of the Holy Spirit in baptism. It's just a public attestation and picture of something that happens when you made that decision of faith. Three powerful symbols. Fourth thing, which is not in any scripture, well, it's in every scripture about baptism. The word itself is not an English word. 
The word baptize or baptism is an English transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, which means to drown. The correct use of the word baptizo in a sentence today is, on April 12, 1912, or April 10, 1912, the Titanic was baptizoed in the North Atlantic off the shore of Nova Scotia. That's the correct use of the word. What Christians in the first century church did since the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such a new thing, is they took an old word, which means to dip, to plunge, to submerge, to drown, to cover over, in water, to death, and associated it with what we now call as baptism, understanding that Jesus doesn't stay dead, <laughs> and neither do we. So they used a, a, an old word for drown, baptizo, and gave it a New Testament meaning. The word itself means to be immersed in water. There are Greek words for splish, splash, bleach, sprinkle, dip, fridge. It's not baptizo. Baptizo means to drown the thing. And then when Jesus comes along, he raises us back to life. The word itself implies baptism by immersion. So that's the similarity. Most important scripture in the New Testament is regarding baptism, and then we're done. So Nathaniel, if you can come on up with your team, and I'll just set up our time of church and worship this morning. Or no, you're playing baseball. Did I see you come in in a baseball uniform? Just drop this on me. Ed, this is a fine young man of God. This dude, he's killing it for Jesus right now. Along with every other youth in our River Youth Program. I'm so proud of you guys. Uh, yeah. This young man, profligate living at a, at, a, at a Christian college, means staying up till 11.30. That's what it means for this guy right here. Uh, he does not waste an opportunity to be perfect. This, what he does here on Sunday morning is the least of his worship in the year of the week. Can I say that? He spends the least amount of time reading what most important verse about baptism in the New Testament. The end all, be all, New Testament answer to the question, should you be baptized? I humbly submit that the practice of the early church answer the question, have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you responded in faith? Then you ought to be baptized. We talked about kids. We talked about being rebaptized. Forget all that. Most important verse in the New Testament about baptism. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember that I am with you always, to the end of the age. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have not been baptized, you should be baptized because you have said so. You are living under His mercy. You are living under His the most important verse about baptism in the whole Bible. You should do it because you said so. Because you said so. July 7th is your first opportunity to do that. So I would encourage you, whether it's your child, you should talk to your mom and dad, or you should do what they do.
if you've been baptized as a baby like I was and remember being baptized as an adult, you now know what the Bible says. You should just make a decision, okay? If you've been baptized and then there were years of darkness and you're wondering if that decision was actually made in faith or not, that is for you to decide. And if you decide that your initial baptism was not made as a response to the gospel but was made for other reasons, then you should consider being baptized as well. And uh, you can, you can uh, when you go to sign up for barbecue and baptisms on July 7th, everybody who signs up is being asked, would you like to be baptized? Just the ultimate. And so that's the easiest way to go about it. And then I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. And so I hope that is an encouragement to you this morning. I hope that the gospel was clearly proclaimed in an appropriate biblical response. Um, the only other thing I can think about is if you are interested in baptism or you have a member of your family that should be baptized, uh, you know, would it be okay? Would it be under the authority of your church? Is it found in the New Testament? Like, who has to do the baptism? I do the weddings because I'm recognized by the state of Connecticut. But there's no such thing in the scripture anywhere to officiate a New Testament biblical wedding. The reason we have a pastor here is because I'm recognized by the state of Connecticut to do so. So you not only have a biblical wedding, but also a legal one as well. The baptism is not recognized by the state of Connecticut. And so if, if someone would like to be baptized and you know that you have loved by you, you have discipled, and you would like to baptize them, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Are you living a repentant Christian life? Do you have a heart to serve this family member in this way? Then you they would like you to baptize them because you've been part of their journey of faith, then you should consider uh, baptizing them. You have the church's blessing. That's the only other question I can think of. Let me pray with you and then we'll wrap up our time together this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. If there are those amongst us who have heard your word for the first time this morning and they've been paying attention and have never said yes to you, feel like they would like to do so this morning. Father, it's very simple and it may sound like this. Heavenly Father, I've heard your word. You are calling me to turn from my sin and to place my faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, knowing that I will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and I will be obedient to your teaching. And so I say yes to you. Heavenly Father, for those of us who made that decision a long time ago and then life has come and life has gone, I pray that your word would linger with us throughout this week, that we would be excited and honored that we have the opportunity to serve you in such a tangible, visible way that is making a difference in a local zip code for the first time in a long time. Father, may you add your blessing to the teaching of your word as your church is obedient to do what it says. We ask these things in Jesus' name.